Guys, everyone, come on, go ahead and get a seat. Come on, get a seat. Get a seat. Pack on in. We're family. We're family. Come on up here, Zach. Come get a seat. Everyone up in the room. No, there is room. There's plenty. Come on in. Pack in. We're family. We're family. We're family. No, come on. Come get a seat. Come get a seat. Come get a seat. Oh. So, welcome tonight. Welcome to the last message of Failure to Thrive last week. Hey! Hey! Let's quiet down, kids, okay? It's time to begin. It's time to begin. This is the last week of Failure to Thrive. You guys liked it so far? Good. Because they have beat me up. They are heavy-hitting messages, and um, they are beefy, and they've been hard to write because there's so much in them. There's tons. Each one of them is like like a mile thick. Um, a mile. So tonight we have messages three, and um, I'm excited. I'm excited to work through it. Excited for everyone in the crowd because there's some great insight in this um, from, from God's Word. There's insight that's been put on my heart, um, so I hope that you learn a lot from it, and we can grow from here. Um, I said it for the last two weeks, but I'm going to say it again tonight because we're in a series and I want to explain it. Um, failure to thrive, the term. Okay, what it, All it is basically used is, is a term given to babies when they don't grow at the correct rate, not up to speed with what's correct. And it's dangerous because the growth period after you're born is extremely integral, very, very important. That period of growth has to happen for the rest of your life to really, really work um, correctly. There's a lot of things that have to happen inside of you during that time. I said also that I believe that us as college students, college age students, we're at an integral period of growth as well. We're at a time where there are a lot of changes that need to happen inside of us, a lot of changes that need to happen around us in order for us to grow and become what we're supposed to be. Sadly enough, there are many people, though, that are failing to thrive. They're not growing at the correct speed. They're much slower than what they should be growing at. Um, and I said, this is not in the physical realm, but in the social, the mental, and the spiritual realm mostly is what I see it in. I've given you this definition, but I want to expound on it just a little bit more. The definition thrive, failure to thrive, basically says to grow vigorously. And last week I also mentioned to you the second definition was to progress toward or realize a goal despite or because of circumstances. It's really cool, though, it's the origin of this word. This is actually a 13th century word, and it stems from the word thryfask. What's interesting is the term thryfask means to grasp, to grasp and have a hold of. I think that's really interesting, um, and it makes a lot of sense to me. When you're a baby, man, you got hands like the size of quarters, don't you? These tiny little hands. Just this last Tuesday night, uh, I got to, you know, to play with this little tiny baby's hands. And I mean, they're, they're like the size of my thumb. They're so small. And that baby can barely hold on to anything, could it? It can barely hold on to anything. Their hands are so small, so weak. But as we get older, wow, you know, our hands grow and they become 
Well, in my case, they're not that big, but they're meaty from lots and lots of work at, at automotive stuff. But they become strong. They become strong, and they can grasp, and they can hold on to things, tools, um, different objects. You can crush someone's bare hand if you're a big, strong guy, right? Um, you're able to grasp so much. And really, when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. The maturity is you begin to really be able to grasp when you place it on top of our lives as well. Um, there's many people in the world who will survive, but there's very few that really will thrive. See, thriving doesn't just mean making it through the day, but when I think of thriving, what I see is somebody who has a grasp on life. And they have a hold of it. It's not just that it's flying by and they're trying to experience a few things in it, but that they have a hold of it. Almost like saying, I'm not letting go of you, life, until you give me what, what I want. And that's really what thriving is all about. And what my hope is, that if we do this and we really work on, man, what are the things that are holding me back? We can not just survive, but we can thrive. We can do great. Believe it or not, we are one-third of the way through 2009 tonight. We're already one-third of the way through the year. One-third of the way through our focus of maturity this year. Already one-third done. Man, it goes fast, doesn't it? I've told you before that when a child is failing to thrive, they're put on a high-calorie diet. And that's what these messages have been. They've been high-calorie. Lots of information on a topic. Very, very blunt. Very forceful at times. Um, very real. Not, you know, hopefully not stepping over my bounds, but stepping right up to them and trying to speak truth and, um, and honesty on what God would have to say. Um, these are high-calorie calorie messages hoping to get us to really grow. So I have three questions for you to start tonight. They're different than you think they are. Are you here for food? <laughs> Do you want to eat? And are you willing to grow? Okay, let's do the ones we normally do because... <laughs> are you here for God tonight? Yes. Do you want to learn? Yes. And are you willing to change? Yes. Okay, let's begin. Uh, years ago, there's a guy who came and stayed with us from ACE Teams. It's a group of traveling, um, basically young guys and girls. They kind of donate a life, uh, a year of their life, excuse me, to be able to go and help churches. And it's kind of like a, like a discipleship kind of focus. You spend a year, and the idea is that you really, really just give and give and give, and, and God's going to reward you for that, which they do. But we had a guy come stay with us. His name was Jared. Shelby didn't like him, didn't get along with him at all. It was great. So much fun, because he was, he was a really, really like one of those people who just grates on your nerves. And Shelby and him were just like total buttheads. It was great, though. Um, he's, like the, he's like the brother that I never had and sometimes never wanted. But... Um, Jared told me this story one time. He said, when, I just shared this with someone last week, which is funny. Um, when he was young, him and his friend went out, and they decided they were going to have a campfire. Okay? So they go out, and they decide they're going to have this campfire. They build it, and they're hanging out by it. Well, unfortunately, it was during a drought, and the grass around it was very, very dry. During this campfire, the fire just began to spread outside of the logs and into the grass. Well, the grass very quickly caught on fire and began to spread. So course these two kids like immediately start like trying to stamp out the stamp out the fire then realize so they grab their water bottles the water bottles run out so then they take and they pull down their pants and they're trying to pee on the fire to put it out they have to stop this fire somehow so as they're trying to stamp out this fire problematically the fire spreads across the dry grass 
and right next to their fire was a wheat field. It started the edge of the wheat field on fire, and at this point they realized there's no way you're putting this out. The wheat field caught on fire and just began to burn like crazy, just whew, caught up. So these two kids grabbed their stuff and ran. We are so busted. We are in so much trouble, right? So they ran back, ran to their house, and just like ditched everything they had with like the fires and went inside and acted like they weren't, they weren't doing anything, you know? Well, if you, called the, if you called the fire department, they would know it's you, right? So they just run back in, and they just ditch. So tons of this, of this hay burns. The fire department comes. They put it out and everything like that. Unfortunately, somebody saw the early signs of the flame. Well, fortunately for the farmer. Unfortunately for Jared and his friend, because they saw him running away from the scene. So he calls his dad and said, uh, you know, Mr. Skibbins, he says, um, I just so happened to see Jared, I mean, Jared running away from that fire when it happened. He says, I'm pretty sure him and his friend started it. So Jared's dad comes home and uh, he says, Jared, someone said that you were at that fire. Did you start it? No, I didn't. No, I was nowhere near that. I was nowhere near that fire. I wasn't anywhere by it. I swear, dad, I wouldn't have done that. So his dad stops him. He says, Jared, sit down. He says, this is serious. He says, I'll make you a deal. He says, if you come clean and you're honest with me, I won't give you a beating. He says, did you start the fire? Jerry says, yeah, I did. He says, I lied. (laughs) He pulls out his belt, and he gave him the beating of a lifetime. The beating of a lifetime. He says, sorry, boy, but I lied. When we're young, um, we don't really want to take responsibility for our actions, do we? Very, very often we do things that are very foolish, very dumb, and we don't want to take responsibility for those because we're really afraid of the things that are going to come back for it. Man, I don't know how many of you guys, I know probably everyone in the room, right? How many of you guys have busted something of your parents when you are a kid and you hid? Like you're like, God, no. Yeah, I broke my mom's lamp. And you're like, I remember tucking it behind something and running. And you're like, I just hope she doesn't find it. Of course, she found it, and she then, it's, it's so bad, because she just guilt-tripped me. My mom wasn't the person who beat me up or anything like that, or like yelled at me. My mom would just be the person who'd be like, Cameron, did you break my lamp? I am so disappointed in you. <laughs> just like, just break my heart. It's so bad. She's so, she's so mean. Um, but we do stuff like this, and, and we, wouldn't, we wouldn't want to admit the fact that it was our fault. We didn't want to just take our licks and just get on with it. You know, take the beating, take the whooping, whatever, go through it, get yelled at, and just be done with it. We always wanted to try to hide from it. Um, how many times do you get in trouble and you blamed it on your friend? Oh, it wasn't me. It was, uh, it was them, right? It wasn't me. Um, but as a person matures, as a person grows older, um, they realize that sooner or later they're just going to have to accept those consequences of the actions they've done. Still, some people don't. Still to this day, people will get pulled over by a cop and say, oh, I caught you speeding there. And they go, oh, no, I wasn't speeding. You weren't speeding. Well, I got you at about 70 miles an hour in a 55. Nope. Nope. I was going 55 the whole time. I swear, my speedometer must be off. Your radar gun must be broken because I was going 55 that entire time. And they can't admit it. They can't admit that, no, they were actually doing wrong and just take it. But we have to come to a place that we realize that it's It isn't always someone else's fault. It isn't always someone else's. To be mature, you you realize that you must also become responsible. You must also become responsible. 
I know a lot of people probably are put off by this word, this word responsible, right? It sounds so old and so not fun, but I think that's based off the fact that you have the wrong definition. The definition for responsible is this. First, to be liable to be called on to answer. Second, though, able to answer for one's conduct and obligations. The next definition, though, I like a lot more. It says, able to choose for oneself between right and wrong. And lastly, marked by accountability. Well, I like definitions, but if you guys have been around me for a while, which most of you guys have, you know that I like to make my own definitions for words because I usually think they're better. So my definition, my definition for responsibility tonight for you guys is this. Responsibility, making your own decisions and dealing with the consequences. That's responsibility. When we're a child, our, our decisions are made for us very, very often. We don't make the decisions of what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, when we're going to do it. People make those for us, and we just follow along. And you know what? We're not accountable. We're not responsible for the outcome, are we? If it goes south, well, it's their fault. I was just following along. But as we get older, the situation changes. And I've read this to you before, but 1 Corinthians 13, 11. It was Paul talking, and he says, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Responsibility is given to us throughout life. And it's basically then up to us to decide what we will do with it. As responsibility is given to us, how will we work that out in our own lives? It's no longer someone else's fault for the outcome once the responsibility is given to you. It's yours. Believe it or not, there was a time in your life when you didn't know how to go to the bathroom. You didn't know. You didn't know how to use the bathroom. But somebody took your hand and showed you how to use the potty, right? How to make a boom boom. <laughs> how to take a tinkle, right? Someone taught you that. Someone grew you into that. And then after you started to learn that, there came a time in which your parents were tired of wiping your butt, literally, and they taught you how to wipe your own butt. Well, you know what? Once that was entrusted to you, that, that nugget of wisdom, I mean, that is a jewel and a gem of, of all the things. If you can forget lots of other things in your life, if you can hold on to that, you're still so good. But once that was entrusted to you, whose responsibility was it? It was yours, isn't it? You know what? After it was entrusted to you, it wasn't their fault if you smelled like poop because you know how to wipe your own bum now. Take care of it, right? And you know what? You don't go back to doing that. You don't take and do that for years and then today just say, Mom, Mom, help me out here, right? No, now you're responsible for that. You've learned it, you know it, and now it's yours to be responsible for, for the action and also for the consequences. After you know you don't ask again, and that's the reality of it, is it's your responsibility. So get this tonight. Get this tonight as the main thing that I want you to understand. If you want to thrive, you have to accept responsibility for your life. If you want to thrive, you have to accept responsibility for your own life. So where in the world, throughout all the different 
applications to this. What are we going to talk about? Where in the world can we accept responsibility? And I'll be honest. The points that I'm going to throw at you are ran over. They're that thin because they can be so much deeper. I swear, just in this message, there's probably nine messages inside of this one message, easily. Maybe a lot more, actually. There's a few points that we could talk about for for months and months on end. But I'm going to go over these about, about where we need to be responsible and we're going to move from there, okay? So you ready? You strapped in, right? You ready to be force-fed <laughs> a whole bunch? All right. To start, first and foremost, you have to be responsible with yourself. It's where it all begins, obviously with us. We can talk about a lot of other things, but it always has to start right here inside of ourselves. There's a bunch of different things with this, but I think first and foremost is this. You need to forget the past, and you need to look into the future. I know, in all reality, there are many people inside of this group who have had a hard childhood. Many people in this group, um, and people who are listening, anything that this, that this podcast might reach, there's people who have had some really hard times in their life. Very, very bad upbringing, um, horrible parents, um, abusive relationships, lots of things that bring us to where we are today. Lots and lots of bad things in our life. Other people might not really have had all these bad things, but you know what? When they look at people around them, they say, man, it feels like all you guys got a full hand and I come up short. All you guys, you guys all have it easy. I was the one who had it hard. I was the one who seemed like I got dealt, you know, just a handful of ones and twos while you guys got all the great cards. And we can kind of be at this place in our life, but what you have to realize if we're going to talk about being responsible for yourself is this, is that Whatever the situations were that led you to who you are today, okay, you are responsible for tomorrow. You and you alone. Whatever the situations are that happened, whatever built you into the person who you are today, you're still responsible for tomorrow. You and you alone. It's no longer someone else's fault for who you are. Okay? And I know there's a lot of pain. I know there's a lot of things. But when we get mature, we realize the fact that now it's my responsibility to decide who I'm going to be. Whether people tried to steal stuff from me in the past, whether people tried to force me into being something in the past, now it's my responsibility to say who I'm going to be and what I'm going to do to be it. It's time to mature and realize that in all reality, you can be whoever you want to be. You can be whoever you want to be, and your past does not hold you. You can decide who you want to be today. This really great story of a man who really I mean, fits right into this. And his name is Joseph. Some of you guys have heard his story in the past. If you guys want to read it, you can go back to Genesis. I think it starts about Genesis 40. Um, but I just want to just paraphrase it for you guys. But Joseph was, a, was one amongst a whole group of brothers. And uh, when he was younger, he had these really, really cool dreams that basically led him to believe that he was going to be a king and his brothers were going to have to bow down before him. Well, sharing these with his brothers, they didn't really like him quite so much because they just thought he's some cocky son of a gun and he thinks that he's better than all of us, even though he's younger than most of us. Um, but a time came in Joseph's life that when he was with his brothers, they all turned on him. Every one of his brothers, and they decided they were going to murder him. It's pretty harsh, isn't it? It wasn't for one brother who stood up for him and said, no, we shouldn't murder him. Instead, um, we should sell him. So he got thrown into a cistern, and then finally he got pulled back up, and he got sold into slavery. His brothers took him from his life as part of the family and sold him off to be a slave. That's a bum deal, isn't it? Well, he got picked up and uh, taken to be a slave in the house of a guy named Potiphar. 
And as he went through, God was really, really with Joseph, which was awesome. Um, and he was a really, really, I mean, really responsible man. As he went through the, the time with Potiphar, Potiphar realized that he was better at managing his farm than he was. So he put all of his power, all of his decision-making on Joseph and said, you know what, you do it, man, because you are really, really smart and you're good at what you do. Joseph kept making this stuff, and Potiphar just kept on getting more and more rich. Well, it just so happened that one of Potiphar's shortcomings must have been in the bedroom because his wife got the hots for Joseph. The wife wasn't so interested in Potiphar anymore. She had the hots for Joseph. And many times she would trap him and say, come to bed with me, come and sleep with me. Joseph realized this wasn't right for his life. And he said, listen, your husband's given me rule of everything, everything on his farm except for you because you're his wife. And that would be evil for me to take and to do anything with you. Well, one day she cornered him. No one's in the house, just him and her. She corners him and grabs a hold of him, says, take me to bed. He refuses, but when he runs away, she takes and rips part of his shirt off. Well, you know how women are. <laughs> Instead of just letting it go and being dejected, she decided it was time to get even. So instead, she told Potiphar that not only, basically, instead of being the truth that she was trying to get with Joseph, she lied and said that Joseph tried to rape her. He tried to rape her. So Potiphar took and threw him into prison. That's a bum rap, isn't it? Joseph was trying to be a very good man. And this woman who was just basically a, a temptress, she was a lustful woman, she took him when she couldn't have her way with, with Joseph, she took and she just had him cast away. Joseph went into prison, and he stayed there for a, for a period of time, but he met with these two guys, and they said, I had these dreams last night, and both of them list off their dreams, and he says to one who was a cupbearer, he said, you know what, your dream means that tomorrow you're going to be reinstated as the king's cupbearer, and everything's going to be cool. There's a baker in there, too, and he has a dream that's almost the same, and he says, no, he says, your dream means that in a few days you're going to be dead. Both of them come true. Cupbearer goes back to being beside the king and completely forgets to mention poor Joseph, who's being held um, unfairly in the prison. For three years, Joseph stays in this prison. The cupbearer forgets about him, until one day, Pharaoh has a dream. And when he's trying to explain it, no one can come up with what the answer is. And this cupbearer remembers, Joseph, this guy told me what my dream was going to be, and it came true. He can do the same for you. Well, don't you think Joseph would be just beat down by now? I mean, seriously, the man was sold into slavery by his brothers, imprisoned falsely, I mean, under, under false pretenses, and then held for three years, being forgotten. He gets called by Pharaoh, and he comes up, and he answers his dream, and instantly the man has skyrocketed to the number two position in all of Egypt. The number two position in all of Egypt. He has control over everything under Pharaoh's house, because he answered this correctly. And just like Potiphar, when, when Pharaoh gave him things, they skyrocketed because he was a responsible man, and they took off and were great. It was only just a year or two later after that that a huge famine struck, and his brothers had to come from him and beg for food, and he was able to save his entire family from starvation because he was this number two man in, in Egypt. You talk about a man who was given a raw deal from start to finish, wasn't it? I mean, he was really, really given a bum rap at each step, but instead of just deciding that 
I just have to be that person. I have to be that failure. I have to be that, that jailbird that's stuck here, and that's all I'm going to be. Instead, he didn't. He decided that he could be more. And man, when he followed through with it, and he became I mean, a great and mighty person in history. The same thing with us. We can be dealt a tough hand. We can be abused. We can be taken advantage of. I thought I silenced that. I'm sorry. <laughs> we can be taken advantage of all these different things, um, but that doesn't make us who we are for the rest of our lives. It might lead us up to this moment, and there might be pain, there might be troubles, but tomorrow we can decide who we want to be. You can take and make the decision. I want to encourage you with this, that all things are possible with God, especially if you have a relationship with Christ. He can heal all things. He can take away all hurts. He can mend broken hearts that never seem like they can, and he can change us. If you don't want to be who you are, he can change you. But just as bad as letting those things in our past form who we are, many people today decide that they don't want responsibility for their own life, so let someone today decide who they are. That could be parents, or a lot of times what that is, is that's basically your significant other, your wife, your husband, or your girlfriend or boyfriend, and you let them decide who you're going to be through and through, what you're going to be, how you're going to be, when you're going to be. And in all reality, I believe that most people do this out of laziness. Because if you're not making decisions, you're not responsible for the consequences, are you? They do it out of fear, and they do it because it's easier to let someone else do it. But I want to encourage you the fact that you're responsible. You're responsible for your own life, not someone else. Don't let someone else tell you who you're going to be. Because you can decide who you want to be, and you can make it happen. Past just that, that outward image, though, there's some really, really tangible parts of this, too, about being responsible with who you are. And these ones are, like, very tangible, but I love it. And the first one's this here, in a very tangible realm. If you're going to be responsible with yourself, you need to get responsible with your finances. This here is, like, three months worth of sermons if you wanted to. We talk about finances forever, especially to our age, because we're in this amazing bracket in which we start to get slightly well-paying jobs and are still pretty foolish with our money. Um, today, in all reality, life is made up of money, whether you like it or not. Money is what life is made of. It's the significance of how we live. Without money, you pretty much die. Um, it's just like, just like back in the day, people would take, and you are who you are because of your livestock and because of things like that. That's how people survived. Same thing today with, with finances. That's how it works, um, whether you really like it or not. When you become mature, though, you realize that it's your responsibility to provide for yourself. It's your responsibility, not someone else's. Everyone has to come to a reality sometime in their life, and this comes with maturity, that you're not okay with someone else supporting you. You're not okay with someone else taking care of you and providing so that you can live. There comes a time in which you realize, time for me to get a job. Time for me to make money so I can provide for myself. Paul talked about this in Second Thessalonians. It's not my things like I'm trying to BS you and turn you into something that I want to be. I'm talking about what the Bible says, so you can't take it up with me. Second Thessalonians 3, 6 through 5. I want to read this to you. Paul says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teachings you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. 
nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, you gave, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not, they are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people, were command, such, such people excuse me, we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and, learn, and earn the bread that they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Harsh words from the Apostle Paul, aren't they? Paul says that if a man won't eat, if a man won't work, he won't eat. That's my rule. He says, take care of yourself. Earn the living so you can survive. Okay? It's not about someone else taking care of you. He even says this towards the end, that if a person is idle and won't take care of themselves, he says, after a while, you need to not be with them. You need to make them realize the fact that you're not supposed to be part of this company because you need to take care of yourself. It's part of being mature and having, having that responsibility. Um, don't tell me that there aren't jobs. Because that's what you guys are going to say. I understand, but you don't understand the job market today. I do understand the job market today. And even though there are many, many people who are unemployed at this time, there are still jobs that are opening every single day. Every single day. I'll give you an example. There's a man named Mike Hintz, sitting in the front row of our, of our, our group tonight. Mike when we were not even planning on hiring at our shop, decided he was going to work at our shop. We weren't hiring. We weren't hiring. So what did Mike do? Mike came and said, you know what, that's fine. You don't have to pay me. I'll just intern. So he started showing up every single day, working for free, working for free and hanging out and learning. He says, this is what I want to do. I want to work on cars. So even if you can't afford to pay me right now, can I just hang out and learn? Because that's payment enough. Started hanging out, started working, started learning. You know, it wasn't very long until my dad said, Mike, why don't we just pay you? And why don't you just become an employee? Because you're here every day anyway. You're already here learning and everything like that, and you've learned these things. Why not actually just work for us? So you can gain a job, even if people aren't hiring. With that persistence, you can gain it. And I'll bring you this. People say, there are no jobs. That's because you're really not looking. Here's the deal. If you don't have a job, then your job is to find a job. You know what that means? Eight to five. Eight to five. If you don't have a job and you want one, look for a job from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. just like you had a job. Put eight hours a day into it, and I guarantee you, you will find a job. The problem is people say, I can't find a job, and they look for like 20 minutes every couple of days. Oh, was that, was that a hiring sign? Oh, I'll, go, yeah, I'll stop after I go to the mall. I'll come back, right? You know, that's the reality. If you say you want a job, make it your job to get a job, and you will. You'll find one. I'll tell you this much, too, especially you guys. A lot of you guys don't have credit back and forth to say there is no jobs because our area is pretty job rich. We're lucky where we live at. There's tons of industry, um, and I'm not just saying, like, in Peru. I'm talking about especially if you look at, like, a 45-mile 
I mean, a 45-minute radius. There's tons of work to be had. Um, and this point can be talked about for months, but I just want to give you a few quick tips at this. If you do get a job and you do have money, you need to start being wise with it. You need to start being responsible with it. And just really quick bullet point tips. First and foremost, you have to tithe. You can go ahead and debate me on this all you want. You can go ahead and tell me that it's, it's not because that's some sort of old, old law. You know what? That's fine. All I know is the fact that I've seen the most amazing blessings in my life financially since I began to tithe. Since I began to tithe. The tithe is 10%, which belongs to God. It's what God puts out is that he says, I ask that you give 10% back of what you earn because that's mine. It's not the fact that he asks you of it, but he commands it. And not giving it to him is like stealing it from him. That's what I wholeheartedly believe. Check it out for yourself. Look to the Bible and you'll find the same thing. Is that the tithe belongs to God. And when you give that 10% to God, he is going to bless you. He is going to make that 90% go farther than the 100%. I promise you it's happened in my own life, happened in many other people's lives, even within this room, and especially within this church that I've seen. But after we tithe and we give that, and that has to be number one. The second, we need to find those things that are absolute necessities to spend money on. Man, take and set aside the fact that obviously if you have a job, you probably need a car to get to your job, right? And that has to be part of your budget, a car. Also with that, you have to take and put in gas to put in your car, to get to work, to get back from work. That's important. Same things like rent, insurance, utilities. These are things that are constants that have to be part of our life. Figure these out, amortize them, however much they are per year, and make them on monthly and weekly schedules so you know how much your paycheck immediately disappears. You get paid every two weeks. How much every two weeks do you have to set aside just to pay your insurance or your rent? Subtract that from your pay right away so you don't think you have more money than you do because those have to be paid. Third, save money. Save money. And it's a lot easier to say than it is to actually do. I understand that. People say today that you need between three to six months of your living expenses put aside. Whatever your living expenses for a month. This is what experts say, okay? So you can, you can look into this. Experts say that if you're going to uh, be safe, you need whatever your living expenses for a month is, three to six months set aside. Preferably six months, especially in this market. If you lose your job and you have to go without a job, you're supposed to have that much. I understand the fact that in all reality, many of us are at like job one or two in our life. And a lot of us don't have great jobs where we can set aside a ton of money. Um, I'll tell you this, okay? Very, very tangible and realistic. Every one of us, if we have a job, should have $1,000 set aside that we don't touch. And that's just simple. That's not like God gave me $1,000. But that's, that's, that's just a very easy and wise thing to say. If you have a job, you should have $1,000 set away that you don't touch. Because sooner or later, you're going to get a bill that you don't expect. You're going to take, and your car's going to make some horrible noise, or something's going to happen, and, uh, you know, your phone goes to Europe and charges up a really big bill, and you have to cough up a whole bunch of money at, at one time, and you're like, crap, I can't pay this. And then you realize, wait a second, I have money set aside just in case for this. And what you need to do is you need to set aside and take that out of what your budget is, of what you have. If your checking says, like, whatever, $2,000, no. You only have $1,000 because 1000 of it needs to stay there in case something bad happens. And that's, not, that's not, not trusting God, okay? That's being wise. That's not acting as if the fact, oh, God's, yeah, is God not big enough to provide when that bill comes? No, but God is also big enough to provide you with a job and provide you with a brain. 
to know the fact that problems can arise and we can set aside money like that. Very, very smart. I'm not a big person on having tons and tons of money set away. I'm not, but you need to have some. And fourth, just as, as kind of a last thing, because once we get down past this, compare value. And what I mean is, is this, just a simple thing. I was even sharing with, uh, with Kevin from our youth ministry uh, last, this last week. Look at something in light of other things. What I mean is this, is something isn't just $30. Something isn't just $30. Instead, it's also the equivalent of two weeks worth of gas. Instead of just being $30, it's also eating out with my friends four times. Instead of just $30, it's five hours of work when I go to my job. You need to take and you need to look at things in, in comparison of value. Even saying something as simple as, well, it's just five bucks. How much do you pay an hour with taxes deducted? If you're making minimum wage, about five bucks. You just worked an hour for that thing that's only five bucks. You need to compare value so you understand if something's really worth the amount of money that you're going to spend on it. It's going to stop you from buying a lot of things, trust me. When you start looking at it, you're like, I would have to work for like 10 hours to buy that. <laughs> you're like, maybe I can go without that or I can get something cheaper. But that's just a simple thing to keep you from spending more than you need to. Also, not just our finances, but as we grow up and we get mature, it's time to be responsible with your health. Time to be responsible with your health. When kids are young, it's very cool to eat like crap, um, eat mass quantities of food, not care about the damages that you're doing to your body. Just you know, Kids do all these stupid things and just destroy themselves um, with, with nutrition and just in, in the regular world as well. Um, but when you're getting older, I know this sounds lame, but it really is true, it's time to realize that no one else is going to take care of your body for you. It's your responsibility. This is all you have, okay? And uh, it's time to take care of it. What it means is, is get help and quit destructive habits that you have in your life, first and foremost. A lot of us develop them when we're younger. We develop destructive habits that we continue on as we get older. Um, but it's realizing these aren't good for me and saying I need to get past these. It can be anything. It could be chewing, drugs, smoking, binge drinking, eating too little, eating too much, not eating the right kind of food. These different kind of things that are destructive to our lives. Um, I mean, all of these things have been shown to drastically reduce the lifespan of a human. And realizing the fact that this is all I have, so I, I need to take care of it. Um, and what it is, is it just begins with making small changes. Just small changes in our life. If we say we want to be responsible for our body, realizing what we put into it, you know, what we take from it, and, and, taking in, and getting realistic about it. If you want to change, get help. In all reality, share it with somebody else. Find somebody who has changed. Find somebody who has accomplished what you want to do and ask them how and get accountability and make forward movement on it. You have to become responsible for your own body, for those own things, because no one else is going to for you. All right, moving on. Not just responsible for yourself, but responsible for others. Responsible for others as well. First and foremost with this, you and you alone are responsible for making good friends. You. I know this is hard to expect because most of you guys are like, what? Making good friends? A lot of people expect that people are just going to show up, fall in love with them, and become their good friends. Not going to happen. 
get mature and realize the fact that it's not going to happen that way. If you don't have good friends, um, the responsibility falls on your shoulders to make good friends, to make good friends, because all of us can. No matter who we are, all of us can make great friends. But you have to put work into it. You have to put work into it. Um, you guys are lucky. You guys are lucky. If you say, I don't have good friends, you're lucky because you're part of an awesome community like Steadfast. It's a community of tons of different people, very, very diverse, and a lot of times if you can find a unifying goal like we have in Christ, very, very easy to make friends. But it's not just going to happen like that. Instead, you have to give effort into it. You have to give effort into people, and you have to give time and respect and honor. Um, you guys know the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The message puts it a really, really cool way. It changed my perspective on it a little bit. If you guys ever read the Message Bible, it says, identify what you would have people do for you, take the initiative, and do it for them. Instead of just thinking of it in a negative term, because that's how we usually do, right? You wouldn't hurt somebody because you don't want to be hurt. But also the idea of the fact that I want people to love me, so I'm going to start showing love. I want people to ask how I'm doing, so I'm going to start asking people how they're doing. I want people to spend time with me, so I'm going to spend time with them. That's what it needs to be. Take the initiative, and what you want out of relationships, start giving and you will start getting that back. That's really the golden rule. It's going to happen. It will happen for you. I promise that it will. Once you start to give into it, you will receive back as well. But you're responsible for good friendships. Oftentimes, as we're kids, we're very, very selfish. Extremely selfish, aren't we? Don't want to share. Don't want to share at all. Don't want to have someone else have something of ours. I remember that I had a, uh, I had a friend who loved my yellow Tonka truck. Stole it from my house and left it out in the rain and destroyed it. Oh, I hated that kid. I was so mad at him for years. For years. Still to this day. Hurts my feelings every time I see him. But as we get older, we realize that life isn't all about us, right? We first start, man, we're selfish beings, and we still are. But as we get older, we realize the fact that, that life isn't just all about us. We're responsible for people who are around us. And the Bible says some really, really cool things on this as well. Because um, one thing that's really awesome about the Christian faith is it was never meant to be lived in solidarity. The Christian faith was always meant to be lived in community. So anyone who says otherwise, they don't understand Christianity yet. Okay? They don't understand Christianity yet. Always meant to be lived in community. But a really cool section here in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 13, Paul's talking. And he says this. He says, Therefore... If what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. What it's saying is this, is that we're responsible for our brothers and sisters. We're responsible for our friends around us, for their relationship with God. What he's saying is this, is that, listen, it might not be a problem for me, but if it's a problem for someone else, I won't do it because I care about them enough and it's my responsibility to make sure that their relationship with God is good. This is the best example in why in my life I've never drank, never have, and probably never will. It's not because in all reality I believe the whole idea of drunkenness, not drinking, but if it's an issue for one other person in my life, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to cause them to stumble. There's many other things that I'm slowly working that out in my life. Trust me, it'll keep coming in our lives where you think, not really necessarily a problem for me, 
But if it could cause someone to stumble, I'd just give it up instead because it's more important. More importantly, because I'm responsible to my brothers and sisters. Not just that as well, but I'm, I'm telling you guys, every single one of you are being looked up to by someone. Every one of us. There's someone in our lives, distant or close, that's looking at you for an example. Looking at you with some sort of some sort of example on how life is supposed to be lived or even just what cool is or what cool isn't, whatever it's going to be. Um, but someone's looking up to you. And in all reality, we have a responsibility to our next generation. We have a responsibility to the generation underneath of us. Jesus said this one time. He was hanging out with the disciples in, uh, in Luke 17. He says to him, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. He's talking about kids that were in his presence, small children. He says, man, it'd be better for you to just have, you know, basically the nowadays expression would be basically to have like, you know, concrete shoes, like the mob. When they throw you into the river, you sink and you drown, right? It'd be better to be that person than to be the person who dissuades a child from following me because that punishment is going to be so much harsh, so much more harsh. We have responsibility to those underneath of us, younger brothers or sisters, siblings, even just people who look at us. I'm telling you guys, especially as Christians, um, there are younger students who are looking at you as an example of what, of what Christianity is. Even people who aren't, you people who are just in the world, there are younger students who are looking at you as an example of what they should live like. And you're responsible to them to show them a good picture of what you can be. Kind of lastly, but not leastly in this. Don't smile at me. We're not responsible for people's actions, but we are responsible for our reactions. We're responsible for others in this is that we have to control our anger, our words, or even sometimes our physical reactions to how people treat us. We can't tell them how to... How to um, how to treat us, but we can change how we react to them. How we react to them. All right, quick sidebar. Quick sidebar on this topic, okay? And I want to talk to the guys just for a second. But you girls, you'll find this interesting as well. But to the guys. Men, on top of all of this, you are responsible for women. You're responsible for women. And... um. I'm not trying to be sexist at all, but it is your place in society and your place under God to protect women your entire life. From start to finish, from being a boy to being a man. There's an old thing Shelby told me one time that she heard. Do um, you remember the crash test dummies? Remember those? When the initial, the very first crash dummy prototypes came out, there was a crash dummy and a crash dummette. There was a girl dummy. What they found is that whenever they put it in the boy's hands, they take the girl out of it and they crash the boy, but they would never crash the girl. There's something put inside of us as men that we should want to protect women. That's a God-given thing. Many, many parables throughout the Bible we see where God compares the fact of how he treats his church, how men are supposed to treat women. And I want you to realize this, is that it's not just your wife or your daughter, but all women around you at all times. Protecting them from situations, from people, and yes, men, even yourself. Protecting them from yourself. All of our actions towards women, get this, all of our actions towards women, every one of them should be protective in nature. 
every action towards a woman should be protective in nature. What I mean is that whether it's physical safety, sexual safety, emotional safety, safety from hurt feelings, safety from anything, all of our actions towards women should be in a protective fashion. What this means is that, guys, you get beat up for a girl. It means, guys, you keep a girl sexually pure. It means that you don't lead a girl on. and she has feelings for you and you don't have them for her, you let her know and let her move on. And it means not hurting a girl back when she hurts you emotionally. When she hurts your feelings, it doesn't give you a right to hurt her back because you're a man and your responsibility is to protect her. Seriously, take that and think about it. Moving on, though. Last big point. Not just responsibility to ourselves, not just responsibility to others, but every one of us have a responsibility to God. Every single one of us. I know you think, oh, it's going to come sooner or later, right? You know i got to throw this in there. But it really is true. You've come to a place in which you can realize that you and you alone are responsible for your relationship with God, not someone else. It's not a pastor's job, not a friend's job, not family's job, not a church's job, a ministry, a conference, not their responsibility. Your relationship with God falls squarely on your shoulders. Romans 6.23, which I've quoted to you many, many times, says that the wages of sin, what we earn for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And God wishes to offer us a gift of salvation from our sin and wishes for us to spend eternity with him. But you have to decide for yourself if you want this or if you don't. It's not up to someone else. If you give your life to Christ, yes, people will be there to help. And like I said, Christianity is about community. People will be there to strengthen you. People will be there to help you out, to help you learn, to help you grow. Um, but the responsibility and the consequences, especially, still fall back on you. It falls back on you and what you decide to do with it. The message has been shared clearly with you. It's now up to you to forge this relationship with God and to make it real. You're the only one who can do it. You're the only one who can do it. Once we do, there's a few different things that God really puts into perspective about our responsibility to him. And he talks about the fact that basically we're responsible for our actions and um, in Ecclesiastes, really cool book, really cool book. And, um, and verse 11, starting in, in 9, actually I'm just going to read 9 for you. Um, it says this, Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give joy in the days of your youth. But follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God brings you to judgment. Very interesting. Most likely Solomon, who wrote this book, Earlier on, he talks about, man, living the wildest life in the world, eating all different kinds of food, having everything in the world he could possibly imagine, including a huge harem of women, which he literally describes as the choicest of all morsels. <laughs> Pretty messed up, right? His most, his most indulgent thing. Um, but he says the fact that, you know what, when you're young, man, have fun and use that youth. But he says, realize this, every single one of your actions have a consequence. All positive ones and all negative ones. There are right choices and wrong choices, and you have to be responsible for the consequences to your actions. You also, the Bible says that we're responsible to learn about God. If we have a relationship with him, 
Not just enough to say, oh, I got a relationship with God. But we're supposed to learn about him as well. We're supposed to study him and know who he is. Proverbs 27.11 says this, God's words. Be wise, my son, and bring joy to my heart. Then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. So if you want to bring joy to God's heart, it's to become wise and to know his truths, to know who he is, and to be able to explain him to others. You know, not just that, but you're responsible for your gifts. And I know I've shared this before, talking about maturity. This awesome story, awesome parable that Jesus talks about, which he says that this landowner goes away, and he takes and he gives an amount of money to three different servants. I remember, I believe it was one, one five, and ten, say. It doesn't really matter. But he goes away, and when he comes back, he asks these men, what have you done with what I've given you? The man with five says, I doubled it. The man with ten says, I doubled it. But the man who was just given one says, I took, an, I took this, this money that you had given me, and I buried it, and I kept track of it. And he says, I have every penny. Here it is. And I says, the, the landowner was furious. And he says, how dare you live so cautiously? He says, it's criminal to live that way. And he says, you know what? He says, take that one away from that man and give it to the one who risked the most. And he says, and get rid of this guy. Get him out of my sight because he makes me sick. God's given all of us gifts in life. Every single one of us. I mean, everyone in this crowd, doesn't matter where your relationship is with God, doesn't matter where you are in life, God's given you something special, who you are. God's given you talents. He's given you just even, just even your personality can be a gift from God, who you're supposed to be. And he says the fact that you're supposed to use these things and you're supposed to make God proud with them. That's the reality is that we're responsible for the things that God has given us. We're responsible for the great gifts he's given us to use them and to bring glory to his name. You're a witness to share what God has done in your own life. You're responsible for your story and spreading it. In this room, everyone is old enough now to understand the story and to make your own decision. You guys have heard it. You guys have heard the story of Jesus Christ. You guys understand what I'm saying. Um, and you guys are mature enough to realize the fact that it's, it's your decision. You're smart enough to weigh the cost. It says that in the Bible. It says that when, you, when people were talking about following Jesus, he says, don't just come and follow me. He says, but weigh the cost of following me first. He says, you know, if a man decides to build a house and builds a foundation, runs out of money, people are going to point at him and laugh. And he says, the same thing with me. He says, you want to follow me? He says, count the cost of what you might have to give up and decide if you still want to do it. But it's your responsibility. It has to be your decision because that, that's how God is. It's all about us. It's heart to heart. It's not about a religious decision. It's not about your, your parents. It's not about what family you've been in, it's not about what religion you are, what your backing is, being a good person or doing the right things or going to church. That's not what it's about at all. But it's about your heart and deciding, do I really believe? Do I really accept Jesus Christ as my Lord or not? You're responsible for your own eternity. And when that day comes in which we all face judgment, when God asks you, there's no one else to point the finger at but yourself. It's your responsibility to do it. Not to scare you guys, but to be honest with you guys. It's your responsibility to decide where you will spend eternity. If you say tonight, you know what, you're right, and I need to get it right, you can come and see me after service. 
Because the one thing that is amazing about it is that although it's your responsibility and that seems like a big one, when you decide it, it's very, very simple. It's very simple. God says that you take and you, you ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life, to command your life, and you trust in him for your forgiveness, for your sins. And from that day on that he washes all those sins away, that we're clean in his presence, that we can go on to spend eternity with him, we have to make him our Lord. We have to follow what his commands are for our life. If a child is unable to accept the food that is given to it, it won't just fail to thrive, but sooner or later it will die. If it can't accept the nutrients that are put into its body, it'll fail to thrive until the point of death. Accept these teachings that you've heard. Accept them and digest them. They've been high calories, so that means that I would, I would encourage you guys to go back, listen to them again. To take the points and to expound upon them and think on them. To talk about them with your friends and discuss what does this look like. And yes, even seek more knowledge on each of these points. More than anything else, it breaks a father's heart when you watch a child fail to thrive and then die. Same thing with you. Same thing with you in this. Don't break God's heart. He wants to see you thrive and turn into the man or woman of God that he has for you to be. Don't fail to thrive. Accept responsibility for your life tonight. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you so much, God, that, um, Lord, that you made a way for us to escape, to escape from the sin that we're so, we're so heavily steeped in, Lord God. Um, and I just pray you tonight this message would just cut deep down into our hearts, Lord God, in all these areas, Lord, that we would be responsible with ourselves, we would be responsible for others, but Lord, that we would also just be responsible for our relationship with you. Lord, that we're wise enough to decide whether or not we want you in our lives or not. And I just pray you that you would just, um, you would just send your spirit just to change our hearts, Lord God, just to change our hearts. I thank you, God, for that, and I thank you for the results that are going to happen from this message, Lord, because I know that your word is powerful, and that it doesn't just go out once, but that it continues to reverberate in our hearts. And I thank you, Lord God, for the changes in our hearts, Lord, towards salvation. I pray that if anyone here tonight um, just decides that tonight, tonight, I want to make a change, I want salvation for my life, come and see me after service, and you can do that. Um, but Lord, I thank you again for tonight. I pray that we would bless you. It's in your precious name that I pray, Jesus. Amen.